SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. The son of Skywalker must not become a Jedi. If he could be turned, he would become a powerful ally. Yes. Yes. He would be a great asset. Can it be done? He will join us or die, Master. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your host of best that I inform you that the show will now begin. On the Sequel Cast, uh, for a brief segment, we have special guest Jason Swank of Rebel Force Radio. Jason, welcome to the Sequel Cast. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Oh, sure. Anytime. Now, I look at the uh, logo of Rebel Force Radio, and it's really something quite striking. I don't think the Force cast ever had a logo that really jumped, popped as much. Well, you know, we wanted to definitely strike a contrast to what had been done before, not because it wasn't great, not because we weren't proud of it, but because, you know, we're not going to repeat that. We've been there, done that. So this was, I think... Uh, Kind of a, a clean slate for us. It was developed by Paul Bateman, who's a good friend of ours and was a protege of uh, the late, great Ralph McQuarrie's and was responsible for archiving and cataloging and, in some cases, completing a lot of, uh, of Ralph's work. So it's quite an honor to have somebody like Paul put together a, a new look for the show. Speaking of Star Wars, what do you think about recent news about... Uh Disney CEO Bob Iger confirming that there's going to be standalone Star Wars movies focusing on different characters. You know, I can't say that I'm all that surprised. I mean, yeah. I think that the, the acquisition of the property is going to probably follow the Marvel model, which, why not? It's a model that works. Sure. And, uh, so I think that what they've done in showing great care in the development of those characters, uh, in, at least in the case of Marvel, before they actually put them in a team-up film, is showed a lot of restraint and um, respect, I think, for the characters and their legacies. So, sure, I mean, it, it makes sense. And I think that it's saying to everyone, hey, it's a big universe and there's a lot of room to play. And for folks who perhaps felt limited by the Skywalker storyline, a lot of fans of the expanded universe felt that, that was just too narrow of a narrative. Uh, this is an opportunity for them to see some of their, you know, favorite characters perhaps get a little bit more screen time. So I think it's a, I think it's a great thing. Right. I mean, they could do anything from like a Jabba the Hutt meets the Godfather to. Uh... Yeah, I thought that was <laughs> funny that that was one of the ones that was singled out in yeah. uh, Harry's uh, post on Ain't It Cool News. Um, but why not? You know, why not do that? It's been, uh, you know, the Huts have really kind of come into their own on the Clone Wars, so. It would be it would be interesting. The funny thing about the Huts, though, not to go on too much of a tangent, is the fact that I don't feel that they've ever 
top themselves after Return of the Jedi. I don't think they've ever mm. created anything on screen that looks more real than that big hunk of, you know, uh, rubber and resin and glue and gunk, you know, that they did back in, you know, 1982-83. And it's funny you mentioned Jabba the Hutt because that was my very first exposure to Star Wars of any kind. I was born in 82 and we had a, a little 100-piece puzzle set of Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> and I knew that way before I saw any of the movies, so I thought all Star Wars was was about this big slug creature. Right, right. It's, it is funny how it shapes your perception. I mean, I, I had the same experience. I was born in 77, so I, I don't recall seeing Empire Strikes Back in the theater, though I'm, I'm told I was there. Certainly didn't see Star Wars in the theater, but grew up with an older brother who was about four years ahead of me, so he was the perfect age to have the toys. And so my introduction to the characters was through the toys. So it was an adjustment to realize that Darth Vader is actually a lot cooler looking than he was as that, you know, that, that Kenner figure from 1978 with the bad plastic cape, you know, <laughs> yeah. weird, with the weird flap that you didn't know whether it should go up or down, you know. Um, so, yeah, but it, but it shows just how those characters resonate and stick with you i mean here you saw jabba out of context and you know it probably spoke to you that gosh i want to know more about this world this this universe i think in jabba the hut too just the way he looks big and he's kind of gross and the the eyes of jabba the hut look almost like the eyes of uh, like a kitty cat or something yes my cat i have a cat <laughs> and it's funny because it, it's a ridiculously huge cat Big orange cat, and yeah, she has Jabba the Hutt eyes. And I, yeah. you know, I never heard. Uh, maybe you have, Matt, but I never heard that that's what they were going for. Uh, has there ever been any confirmation that they were shooting for a sort of a cat eye look? Not, not that I've read. I know uh, sometime in this year they'll be coming out with the hardcover book. You know, the making of Return of the Jedi that will be pretty detailed, uh, like they did for the anniversaries of Empire and uh, A New Hope. I mean, I'm with you in that. The, my first real memory of seeing Star Wars on the big screen was Return of the Jedi. Mm. And uh, so that's always been a real, what I call my sentimental favorite. It's really hard to not put Empire at the top of the list. But I saw the film so radically out of order, I saw uh, four, six, five. And ah, so, okay. Yeah, so I got to see that sort of connective tissue, that, that second act. Uh, after I had seen the uh, the third act finale, how it went. So, um, it uh, there, you know, there's funny because some people will say, I actually got an email from a guy who said that I I need to turn in my membership to the original fan uh, club where <laughs> I'm not not part of the original tr you know trilogy era because I didn't see A New Hope in the theater. And I thought, well, that's kind of a short-sighted way of looking at it. I definitely consider myself part of that original, that original group. I, you know, I was six years old when Jedi came out, so I feel like I was you know, at a great age for it, probably the, one of the target ages. Yeah, I think so, too. And you just look at, see all the different ages Star Wars applies to. I was just talking to a friend from work, and he has a son, I think, that's about seven years old. And his son only knows Star Wars from the Lego toys, not even the Lego Star Wars video game. But he's never seen the movie. And yet his son still knows who Darth Vader is, who Darth Maul is, who all these characters are. I, you know, I was thinking about this today, especially with the news you know, that you brought up about Bob Iger's statements with the characters. And I, I started thinking about the Star Wars universe as, you know, similar to, say, 
a DC universe or a Marvel universe. Hmm. And I really think that when you look at things like Lego and, you know, you see things like the superhero squad and you see some of the, the comics that are, you know, like Batman, the animated series and, and some of the things, some of the, the more entry level ways for kids to latch onto these characters. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, let's face it, whether it's comic books or it's Star Wars, uh, it's, it's, it's our version of myth. It's our modern myth. It's like uh, film scores are our classical music for, you know, for our generation. So I think that it's, I think it's wonderful. I think it's great that there are so many gateways to these incredible galaxies of characters. Yeah, I think one of the first uh, film soundtracks I got was sort of that four CD set of uh, Star Wars soundtracks from the late 90s. And it had like an 100-page booklet of liner notes where it'd say if you listen to start at 35 seconds and go to 38 seconds, this three notes is an homage to this old film. (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Williams' music, of course, has been deconstructed by a lot of of folks and, uh, of course, Williams himself deconstructed it quite well throughout the prequels and turned it on its head upside down and sideways and backwards and uh, came up with deri- de- you know derivations of older themes and maybe newer themes and um, you know I, I, th- I think that that's something sort of universal about music is that there's always kind of a, there's only eight notes right so yeah. there's always somebody claims that I came up with that first but yeah you may have came up with something close but you didn't write the score to Star Wars. Only one guy did that. Wow, yeah, that's really some, all the stuff he's done. And then I was looking at a list of all the Oscars John Williams has won, and he hasn't won an Oscar for best score since uh, Schindler's List, I think, about 20 years ago. So Yeah, it's, I think you become a victim of your own success sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, top that. Um, I remember as a kid growing up, it's kind of a weird comparison, but I remember as a kid growing up, watching the show Night Court. Remember the... Yeah, the yeah. John Larroquette, is Dan Fielding, used to win the Emmy all the time. And uh, finally, I believe, took himself out of the running. Because he uh. won so many times in a <laughs> row. And uh, so I don't think people are doing that now. But, you know, I think that there's a movement to, you know, give some of the other guys a, a chance. But it is interesting that so many of the, other, the, the younger composers are completely smitten by... Uh, John Williams. You know, John Williams is their muse, their inspiration, their hero. So I think there's a little bit of John Williams in a lot of these newer composers. Michael Giacchino is somebody that we might be hearing more of. There's no confirmation. He's a very close collaborator of J.J. Of, uh, Abrams. And so one would assume that perhaps he'll have a role to play if uh, John Williams isn't available or decides not to work on the new films. Well, yeah, and the main music theme that Giacchino did for the newer Star Trek film, uh, you know, it takes some of the same notes as the classic Star Trek theme, but it makes it sound like new, but classic at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, kind of what Jerry Goldsmith did with the Star Trek music. Um, it, it's felt like Trek, but it um, sort of had a, a, a much broader palette to sort of uh, tell the tale with. So I really like that. I like that he took sort of the nugget of the classic theme and, and built upon it very much. Yeah. Uh, now, out of all the f- films in the Star Wars saga, is there one moment that you think people don't talk about as much as they should? Oh, my gosh. Um, 
you know, I'm always struck. There's a moment at the end of Return of the Jedi when Luke is desperately trying to carry dying Vader Hmm. to the shuttle. And Luke looks so small to me in that moment. Yeah. And uh, it actually, it it chokes me up every time I think about it. And especially when I see it, Um, he's trying so desperately to save him in every possible way. And uh, it's, it's, it's one of my moments. And and there was um, a fabulous trailer for when the entire saga was going to be played on Showtime. And they used Fix You by Coldplay. And it was mm. a very short-lived thing because apparently Showtime did not get the rights. It was either Showtime or HBO. I can't remember. One of the, one of the cable channels. It may have been Showtime. And they didn't get the rights to the Coldplay song, so this trailer didn't last very long. But I was able to download a copy and that moment is actually in that little trailer and backed with that Coldplay song, Fix You, uh, gosh, it just, it chokes me up. And that's one of my favorite moments in that it's, it's so poignant to me. The part that chokes me up, I think, out of all the films is uh, about the last, I guess, three minutes of Revenge of the Sith where it uses, I guess you can call it Luke's theme or the Force theme. I, there's a different names for it. But it's the music that plays in A New Hope where he's looking at the twin sun setting. But anyway, you hear that same music at the end of Revenge of the Sith as you see the birth of uh, Luke and Leia. You see Obi-Wan go back to Tatooine in his little hut and sort of wraps up everything without a line of dialogue. Yeah. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. And, uh, you know, in retrospect, I've gone back and forth about that because famously there's a deleted scene of, Yoda landing on Dagobah and in the commentary Rick McCallum says you know he just his heart was just broken that they couldn't put that in there and George was I think it was George was insistent that it just it it didn't work that that wasn't part of the the narrative to get you into episode four you know you know where Yoda goes it's okay you don't need to see that and um, so I, I think in retrospect they probably made the right call and that that's really about the twins. It's not about Yoda. It's about the twins. Sure. I think at a certain point, it would have been unintentionally uh, funny. You know, I mean, would they have kept on cutting to Boss Nass on Naboo? <laughs> what what he was doing? Right. Yeah. Where do you draw the line, right? Or or Owado, <laughs> sort of like rolling the dice. Right. Like the world still is going on. Uh, yeah. That's but, true. That's true. So... I think that, uh, no, that's a good one that you point out. It's, it's, it's a beautiful sequence. Well, I think before we wrap up here, uh, another one of the shows, aside from Rebel Force Radio, I really appreciate on Shot Glass Digital is uh, the Bondcast. Oh, thank you. And thank you. Now, when you do that, are you going to be going through the film sort of chronologically, bit yes. by bit? Okay. Yeah, yeah we are. Um, that sort of just came out, well, not unlike doing a Star Wars podcast, you know, it just came out as being such a fan of the series and just relishing in the fact that there's other people out there that feel like I do and have the same questions. And it's a way of kind of forcing yourself to learn more about something and sharing that with other people, not just your your co-hosts, but, you know, your listeners as well. And, you know, we've been really fortunate to 
develop a bit of a of, of a following, you know, in terms of uh, our commentary on Star Wars. So to pull that over to to Bond, that was uh, it, it's been a lot of fun, and we're taking our time with it. You know, it's a monthly show, and we're going through the films. We started with Doctor No. We just wrapped that up. There was there were two episodes. We kind of agreed that. You know, if it takes two episodes to get through a film, great. If it takes three, great. If it takes one, who cares? And so we're being kind of casual about it. Uh, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. And, yeah, it's on Shot Glass Digital, uh, which is our network. We haven't really announced it, but um, in addition to Rebel Force Radio, we're kind of consolidating all of our, our podcasts under one flag. And uh, Jimmy and his wife, they do a great show about raising their family and uh, the Chicago suburbs, uh, Snide Remarks Radio. Jimmy's a huge uh, Chicago Blackhawks fan, so he and a buddy of his do a show about uh, that hockey team. And we have Bondcast, and we have Rebel Force Radio, and uh, Wendy, Wendy Mack, uh, Wendy Snyder, Jimmy's wife. Uh, she and her friend, who's a really talented Hollywood writer, writes a lot of sitcom uh, shows, episodes. They have a, a program called ADH Divas, and it's about oh. you know, their their trials and tribulations, kind of going through life with ADHD and having children that have ADHD. So it's oh. kind of like a, a self help group uh, that you can listen to. So there's a lot of diversity, and we have plans for other shows as well, and a little something for everybody there. So um, you wouldn't think that there's a lot of connection between those varied topics, but you'd be surprised how many folks actually listen to to all of them. And it just, I think that it's, and you know, Matt, it's, it's something to do with this medium. There's something about being a voice in someone's car, in their, in their earbuds, when they're working out or cleaning the house. There's just, there's, all I can say is there's a relationship that develops. I know as a fan of talk radio my whole life that I've uh, felt very close to different you know, personalities that came through the speakers. So it's a it's something that's very unique. It's not like television. It's not like movies. Uh, there's something very powerful. I think that's why it's still around. Yeah, I mean, the very first podcast I ever did was back in 2005, and uh, it was a, a video game music podcast. And I just got sort of burned out on it because I did that as my college radio show for the same sort of theme, and I said I was going to cancel it. And I immediately get uh, all these emails from listeners in Brazil and London and all these things saying, oh, please don't cancel this. And uh, I canceled it anyway, but right. I mean, <laughs> broke some hearts. But yeah, but uh, it, it's it's humbling. It's amazing oh, when sure. you do something and people really care very deeply about it. And also, I mean, that's a great example of something that's quite niche. Yes, right? you know. And lo and behold, my God, there's you know hundreds, maybe thousands of people out there that that want to hear it. And I'm a big, big fan of podcasts in general. And it was one of the reasons why I put my hat in the ring for the Forcecast back, you know, almost seven years ago, because I loved talk radio. I loved podcasting. It, I have always had kind of long commutes in my professional career, so audiobooks and podcast podcasts have really gotten me through a lot of drive time. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the of the medium, very much so, and to be able to work with somebody like Jimmy Mack, who brings that professional sensibility to it, uh, that's been a huge thrill, a huge thrill. Oh, sure. And, uh, you know, here in the sequel cast, I'm excited we're talking about the Star Wars films in February and uh, March of 2013. 
I mean, we've covered some really terrible franchises. If you look back at our shows at SequelCast.com, we did the Highlander films a while back. There's like half a dozen of those puppies. Yeah. And man, I mean, it, you discover these franchises and it's just like a, a slide that starts out good and you just keep on going down and down and down. But uh, the yeah, start... what, what do you think the difference is? I mean, you, since hmm. this is sort of your thing, what makes a difference between a good franchise that's handled well and a franchise that, you know, goes to pot. I think a franchise that does things well, it needs to... It's less about even having a decent plot necessarily. If you have a character that's really memorable, that's that's either funny or it has good relationships, mm-hmm. like in rewatching some of the stuff of the show, we did like Lethal Weapon and Die Hard uh, uh, back in 2012 or 2011, I can't remember which. Uh-huh. And... As a kid, I love the Die Hard movies, but growing, but like now, as I'm in my uh, early 30s, and I find Die Hard kind of boring, and I think the Lethal Weapon films are more interesting just because of that relationship between the main characters of Murtaugh and Riggs. Right. And, right. And it's having some good main characters, I think, having good interplay between them. Mm-hmm. And as long as there's at least one character or something in there you care about, it can carry you through some real, uh, real stinkers in there. You're right, and I get a lot of heat. You know, I'm a bit, I'm a Star Trek fan as well, and I get a lot of heat because I just I, there's something about Star Trek V: The Final Frontier that I just love, and in what you're saying is so true because for me, even though the plot is ridiculous, there's holes the size of the Grand Canyon all throughout it, but boy, oh boy, those scenes with the with that cast, particularly the trio in there, and their chemistry together. It just jumps out at the screen at you, and I could just sit and watch those guys sit around a campfire all day. Or not just the campfire scenes in Star Trek V, but uh, there's some scene, and I forget if it's a hallucination or a flashback with uh, Bones McCoy mm-hmm. and his father. Oh yeah, in the hospital. I mean, a very emotional scene. It's very emotional, it, and you know, William Shatner is one of those, not unlike Mark Hamill, that uh, sometimes gets a raw deal. You know, they don't get the credit that they deserve for being really great actors. And, you know, Shatner has become sort of a caricature of himself, but yet he has some amazing moments in those films. Uh, I mean, Star Trek II, I think, is probably his his most shining moment in any of the Star Trek films. Just from beginning to end, he is just so on it and can be so cocky and Kirk-esque one minute and then get so vulnerable and, and decimated the same time uh, or a moment later so i just i love that i love that range and i think that you know to your point speaks to you know what makes these characters so compelling and what makes a franchise last as long as it as it does and i think you're right it's not as much about story and plot it's about character and yet plot is important too i mean the, the plot can carry you forward but it has to have that core it has to have the oxygen of the characters in there keep things going yeah absolutely well uh jason thank you very much for uh being on the sequel cast oh my pleasure this has been a lot of fun thank you i learned a lot oh you're welcome um Anytime. i guess i want to say as one last uh star wars thing to try and tie it in more to that sure is there a uh, a quote from star wars that you find inspirational in your daily life well, the quote that I love probably more than any is when 
Obi-Wan Kenobi in Episode 4, New Hope, turns to Luke as he's about to go off on his journey to turn off the tractor beam. And he looks at him and he says, the Force will be with you, always. Hmm. And it's that pause and that always. He's saying goodbye. Yeah. In that moment. And it's almost like, I'll be with you always. But he doesn't say that. The Force will be with you always, and I will be with you always because of the Force. And so I just, I love that moment, and I love the, the gravity in his voice. Alec Guinness just, he is so incredible in that role in the way that he, his performance is so subtle yet so profound and meaningful. And that is one of those moments that I think he, re, he really shines. So, you know, the, may the force be with you is cliche, but the force will be with you always. Nothing cliche about that. Oh, no, not at all. I guess one that jumps out to me, and it's not like it's my favorite line in the movies, mm-hmm. but... Um, at at work or sometimes when I get frustrated in life, I can be a bit of a complainer. And whenever I complain too much, I think of Luke Skywalker there in The New Hope saying, oh, but I just want to go to Tashi Station to get some power converters. I'm thinking I'm being a little bit too much like Luke here. Whiny Luke. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm being whiny Luke here. I need to pull it down a few notches. Yep. Yeah, what you want to be is you want to be that Luke that walks into Jabba's palace and lifts his hands up and yeah. chokes out those memorial <laughs> cards. That's the Luke I want to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, very good. Well, uh, thank you, Jason. And where can uh, listeners check out Rebel Force Radio and the Bondcast? Just go to uh, rebelforceradio.com, and there's a little player there at the bottom while we're working on the site, and you can uh, download the episodes or stream them right there. It works on all platforms. It's great. It works on your desktop browser. It also works on uh, mobile browsers and all of that. As far as Bondcast, the uh, best thing to do is go to facebook.com slash Bondcast. And uh, we always post the shows there, direct links, so you can download them. And we're also on iTunes. Just search for Rebel Force Radio or Bondcast. And stay tuned for more info on Shot Glass Digital. Oh, definitely. I wish you, uh, wish you guys the best of luck. Thank you so much, Matt. Take care, my friend. Sure. Take care. Welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show that looks at movie franchises. Yeah, fuck. Let me start over again. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. We're uh, in the middle of looking at the Star Wars films, and uh, this week we're looking at Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, you can check out more episodes of sequel cast at sequelcast.com. The theme song is written and performed by Mark with a C. Check out his music at Mark with a C. Dot com, and uh, the sequel cast is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Check out other great uh, podcasts in that uh, fleet at battleshippretension.com. With me is Thrasher. Hello. And BJ. Howdy. So, um, this film, you know, was not directed uh, by George Lucas. It was directed by Irvin Kirshner with the... Screenplay by Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan, based off the story by George Lucas. 
starring uh, all the people from the first, a lot of the people from the first film, including uh, you know Billy D. Williams as a new character in this plays Lando Calrissian, and Frank Oz voices and puppeteers uh, Yoda. The music again is by John Williams. Cinematography Peter Shushitsky, and um, it was released by 20th Century Fox. Released uh, in the United States, May 21st, 1980. Running time 129 minutes off a budget of 32 million, made 538 million dollars. I have no idea if that is worldwide or not. Does that include the special edition re-release, or is that actually counted as a separate movie? Um, that is the worldwide gross was the 538 million, and I am not sure if that counts. The, uh, I just don't know if that actually ca- if they counted those as the same movie for ticket sales. You know, or not. I think they probably did. So it's inflated a bit, but regardless, you know, <laughs> this film compared to uh, A New Hope. Yeah, Star Wars. Thank you, Episode Four, A New Hope. World, actually, you know, was not as successful worldwide, although it still is a very successful movie. Actually, can we can we talk about something? Yes. Why do these Star Wars titles get longer and longer? Why does it get harder to explain what movie we're talking about? Well, you know, in the scripting process, when, when Star Wars, uh, the first one originally came out, it was just called Star Wars. And then later on a re-release, they retitled it, you know, Episode Four: A New Hope. And in the scripting process, this film was going to be called Star Wars Episode Two, But somewhere along the line, that changed. So I don't know why they have to have the longest titles possible. I just, I, I just remember, I remember when we used to say Star Wars, Empire, or Jedi, and everybody knew exactly what we were talking about. Well, I think they'd still know what you're talking about, but for formality, at least when you're introducing what we're talking about. Oh, it's, I guess it's harder with the, the new trilogy. The like, like, oh, you, you still can, you know, Menace, Clones, and uh, Sith. <laughs> Sith. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, it's still entirely possible. I mean, now it sounds like we're talking about, you know, playing the, the old Republic video game or something. <laughs> Yeah. Start just listing off names of things. That's true. Well, I mean, uh, when did you guys first start, uh, first saw Empire Strikes Back? For me, it was on videotape. I also you saw it on videotape. Yeah. I could not tell you when, because this, as far as I was concerned for the longest time, this was the first movie in Star Wars trilogy. Hmm. And I've been watching it as long as I can remember. So were you confused when you saw... Um, a new hope later on down the line. No, no, not as much. Okay. I think it. I think it actually things made more sense. Mm, right. I. Uh, yeah. What were your impressions when you first watched this film, Thrasher? If you can remember. I. I honestly do not know what my first impressions were. Okay. Uh, like, like a new hope. Uh, it's it's a movie that is so ingrained in my being that I feel like I have always seen it. I cannot. I cannot remember a time when I did not see it. Uh, this this came out. Uh, this came out. I think when I actually what was the release date on this? The release date on this was uh, initially, you know, May nineteen eighty, but then it was re released several times. Okay, I was born. Uh, I was born the month afterwards, so chances are my parents saw it while oh. I was in the womb. So I guess. I guess, uh, I yeah, I had always seen it, or at least heard it. You should uh, ask your uh, your parents if that's the case. 
I think no, I, I actually I I hear similar stories from my parents. Oh, okay. So I was yet to be born. I was uh, I was born in '82, hmm. and I hear stories from my mom about them seeing uh, bootleg copies of the Star Wars movies at my <laughs> dad's uh, my dad's boss's uh, like parties. Oh wow! Okay. So I assume that I was swimming around in my dad's uh, testicles at the time. Yes. <laughs> Having a good old time. <laughs> Waiting to be born and eventually around not like knowing that it would print upon me. Yeah. You know, I, um, when I saw this, I don't think it was until I was like 12 years old or something for some reason, or no, maybe like 10 or 11. Like it was a while until I saw this for, until I saw the Star Wars movies, even though I knew about them from the video games and stuff. So that's sort of weird. But when I, uh, saw this film, I mean, certainly I think the pacing of Empire Strikes Back is probably the most unique in the series. Yeah. It's pretty laid back, it's I guess. It's laid back, yeah. It takes its time more, I think. Than... Well, it's also it's also a much more human story. I mean, mm-hmm. the the universe itself isn't what's at stake here. What's at stake are the relationships between the main characters. And what's interesting is I don't know. Central... I mean, yeah, you're you're going into like the the fate of the rebellion as a whole. You know, well, getting that's very down true, like that. that. That's pretty. That's pretty deep. And that's you look, true. You look at the. Um, the first film, uh, Star Wars, it ends with the huge battle, you know, on the Death Star. This one, Empire Strikes Back, you know, generally begins with this big assault on uh, the rebel fortress on on Hoth. And you don't get a big, like, space battle at the end of the film. You get sort of a more intimate battle between uh, Luke and Darth Vader. So it's well, I think of... it's because it essentially is a second act of a play. Yeah. It's it is more it's less of a self-contained movie or a story than uh, Star Wars was. Sure, no, especially with that ending. I mean, how can you just watch this you know, watch this film and not pop in Return of the Jedi afterwards <laughs> with that uh, that great ending? But we'll, we'll get to the ending later. I uh, you know, looking at the actors, Billy D. Williams is really nice as Lando Calrissian, and although he's suave like Han Solo, there's enough different things about his character where it's not just a clone sort of. Well, he he seems he, he's just as suave, but he he's much more of a businessman. Uh, Han yeah. Solo Han Solo is a freelancer. Cal Rizian is a man of business, and I'm pretty sure he's got a history of selling people out to the Empire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually a, a running gag between uh, BJ and myself and Jason. Is just like tacking on, and I've made a deal that's going to keep the Empire out of my air a long time to things. <laughs> I will finish that, that that LARP script where young Lando Calrissian <clears throat> sells people out the day the Empire is formed. <laughs> <laughs> no, awesome. like, yeah, it's, I mean, what does he do? Is he like, hey now, do, do one of my fantastic, I was trying to do an imitation, but that went nowhere. Hey, you know, go on one of these fantastic tours that's good on the spaceship. Oh, wait, it's a prison ship for the Empire. Whoops. They're all slaves to <laughs> the Empire. That's not too far from where I was uh, where I was going with the script, actually. Oh, okay. So it was a cruise liner, but... Yeah, uh, there you go. But yeah, it's... Yeah, I, that's... I, I, you know, actually, what's so interesting about the, the prequel trilogy is that you see that it's only about, you know, 20-something years... Before that, the whole thing happens, and you're like, 
you know what? I bet Han and Lando and some of the others were around. I wonder what they were like then. True. Yeah. Um, you know, there was concept art for a, a like a teenage Han Solo in Revenge of the Sith that they didn't do anything with, but he would have been with Chewbacca on Kashyyyk somehow. Um, See, the, the, then it would have really broken the whole like continuity. Yeah. Although I guess we're you know, and then Han would have been like, I remember that guy. Because how do you forget Yoda if you met Yoda? <laughs> you would not Very because true. just for him talking backwards, you would forget. You wouldn't forget him. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's not Empire. Sorry. No. Oh, that's all right. Tangents is what we do here on the Sequel Cast. And if you want to check out other episodes of Sequel Cast, go to sequelcast.com. dot com. Um, when you look at Empire Strikes Back, it just this one, you know, the whole Star Wars universe is just fleshed out more. You got four planets with more detail compared to what you had in the, the first film. Well, there was also a whole other slew of uh, of special effects innovations that take place. Oh, yeah. Which... Oh, no, the budget was almost three times as much as the, the first film. And you had, yeah, I mean, everything's on, on a bigger scale. Which is kind of funny because one of the things we covered in our uh, initial special effects classes was one of the biggest boo-boos they made in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Oh yeah. So, uh, one of the during one of the the speeder fight, there's a spot where the matting was not done correctly, and you can see through the console of the speeder. Mm. And that's one of those like no-nos that they always teach you about: is watch what you're doing, so you don't do this. Yeah, Which I'm sure is one of the things they fixed in the uh, special edition. I'd have to look in particular for the scene, but yeah, they certainly. I think they cleaned up some of the the matte lines in there. They really didn't do much with special edition Empire, did they? They just kind of. Like Thresher and I were talking the other day, and it's they yeah. basically just made Cloud City more open, and that was about it. Yeah, uh, they, I don't believe there's any additional. At least I don't. If there are any additional scenes, they're so subtle you you barely notice them. It's just some minor touch-ups and letting you see through the windows of Cloud City. Which I think that's a nice addition. Oh, yes. It definitely gives you the, the cloud feel instead of the closed-in, hey, we repainted, repainted an Imperial kind of feel. Yeah, and I mean, there's a few more differences with the special edition. They added um, a shot of a guy in a Wampa costume at the beginning when Luke gets attacked. Oh, yeah. There's supposed to be all kinds of Wampa stuff in the That's one of the things I oh, love yeah. about the Blu-ray release is I love those scenes, and I wish they had made them into the original. Uh, oh, the, this, this scene where C-3PO, they, they apparently have like uh, a pen. Yeah, there's there's a Wampa the invasion in the, the thing, yeah. and they <laughs> locked it behind a door, and they get the stormtroopers to go in it. I think that that would have been really nice because there's not as much – I don't think there's as much humor – and lightheartedness to the to Empire. It's very much a down note, as they say in, sure. in Clerks. Although at the same time, though, I I don't exactly like that scene because it, it really makes C three PO a killer. Well, I mean, do you? No, think, no, no. He's just protecting his master. Do you think that would have taken people out of the film? Like, oh, okay, Darth Vader is, uh, you know, looking for stuff on this uh, on the on the base on Hoth, and then oh, there's Wampas running around too, and oh, they got to get to the ship on time. 
Well, it depends how you do it. If you do it improperly, it's going to look like farce. If you do it properly, it's going to be a real shocking scene where where but we where we do get to go hooray when some Imperials get eaten by Wampus. The footage on the Blu-ray looks very silly, but um, you know, well, that's, that's like I said, that's what I like about it because everything's yeah, so, so serious, dark. Yeah, like this, even on a bright white planet, it's a very dark time. Mm, sure. It's also a forsaken hellhole. If you ever played through Old Republic, it is a terrible place to be. It's very I never desolate. Got as far as hot in the very old cold video game. Well, that's you, something you really I like do about get the feel of it of mm-hmm. of Hoth being a waste, a frozen wasteland. You did well, a very that's what I, I like about the ice planet Hoth. It is clearly a piece of real estate so terrible, no one would ever think to colonize it, which is, makes it the perfect place to hide a base. Well, in almost every Star Wars video game, has a level where you visit Hoth. And you got to take down the snow speeder, the um, ATATs. It's actually one of the few like scientifically sound planets where they like uh, it's covered in one terrain. Like it makes sense to have a fully frozen planet. You know, look at the moons of Titan or the moon Titan, the moon of Jupiter. It's hmm. completely covered in ice. Yeah, and it has three wampas. <laughs> Just three. That's all the Titan ecosystem will support. Well, a significant thing about the film is the music of John Williams, like always, in particular, the Imperial March. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. It's, I mean, in this film, I certainly... I think that's one of the most recognizable pieces of music oh, in the yeah. world. Definitely. So. And it really hits you, and like it's, and I also like that, that it shows up in different places. One of the biggest laughs... I ever I ever admitted while watching The Simpsons was when they cut to Mr. Burns in his office looking at compute security footage from the rest of the power plant and they play the Imperial March. Oh yeah. That's pretty funny. See I, I love I love the scene in Jedi where they're when he uh Darth Vader die. I'm I'm assuming that the listeners all know that Darth Vader dies. It's just Yes. But let's hope because there I mean there are people who haven't seen Star Wars, which I can't comprehend. Sure, that's true. But Although, when you he know dies what? and they play it Star Wars, in that very soft and sad feel, mm. it's still a beautiful piece of music and right. has that this feel to it. But hey, if you've never seen Star Wars and you're getting the Star Wars experience th- for the first time through the sequel cast, write us. Tell us what's that, what that is like. Yeah, just uh, you can post it on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast or send us an email at sequelcast at gmail.com. Empire Strikes Back, I just think yeah, you get the real feeling of uh, how lonely it is out in Hoth and how... Um, you well, know, Hoth you... ain't no place to raise your kids. In fact, it's cold as hell. Yeah. <laughs> when uh, you look at the first film, oh, the, like Luke and Han and Leia, they're all together and stuff after a certain point. But in this one, the, the, those characters really get separated quite a lot. Whether and, it's, and very quickly. Yeah, whether it's Luke in the Wampa Cave at the beginning trying to escape, or, you know, Luke and Dagobah while Han and Leia are, you know, either inside the worm monster in the asteroid or in Cloud City. And it's not till the very end where they sort of meet up again with the tragic consequences. I think what's so weird is at this point you start wondering whose story is this? Yeah. Is this the story of Luke, the, the boy that we saw? You know, going and because the first movie is undoubtedly about Luke, mm-hmm. and so 
is Luke now taking a back burner? Is this Han's story? Since he seems to be extremely prominent as far as the, the whole other getting caught by the bounty hunter and the, that whole uh, setup. It seems to be more of Han's story. Well, it really is like a novel that, that follows several different characters through different events. And that's certainly something you you see in a lot of the Star Wars novels is they have they cherry pick different characters and have them all go to separate planets, and then they all meet up on one planet by or one location by the end to uh, face again. I haven't read a Star Wars novel since I want to say the mid nineties. Mm. I've been reading one lately to get back in the mood, but I will talk about that on a later segment on the show. <laughs> all right. But I was really interested in, uh, when I did research for this film, I found out it wasn't until, like, later versions of the script or it even introduced the concept that Darth Vader was Luke's father. Where originally the line was either going to be, like, Obi-Wan killed your father. And some sort of... That's what I heard, is that David Prowse had said something totally different. Yeah, when they filmed it on set, like uh, Mark Hamill, who played Luke Skywalker, he knew about it. George Lucas knew about it. The producers knew about it. The director knew about it. But yeah, David Prowse was fed a different line. And in fact, when uh, it's been said, when James Roll Jones was given the line to read Luke, I am your father, to read in the recording studio, he said, oh, Darth Vader is lying. That's not the truth. Huh. No, which actually might explain why there's something kind of sly about the way he says it. Oh, he's totally playing Luke. Like, he's yeah. totally using... He's definitely not just telling him for his own... You know, Luke, I want you to know that I'm your dad and I care about you. No, it's... I'm <laughs> your father. I'm going to try to tug at your heartstrings to get you to, to follow me. Yeah. I would have liked Darth Vader to say, like, Luke, let's have a hug. Hey. I'm, I'm your daddy. Hug me, Luke, with the power of the Force. Now let's go have an ice cream and play some catch in the backyard. Actually, um, I've I've talked about Doctor Madblood's movie before, but when uh, Star Wars was finally uh, when when the network Doctor Madblood was on could finally show Star Wars in the in the late eighties when it when it uh, got the movie package was sold to their affiliate, they did uh, they did a their own Star Wars trilogy of interstitial segments with the with the Mad Blood characters, and they did this parody of the scene where where Vader says Luke is his father, and it's just he's like you know, he does you know does the whole thing Luke I am your father, and then Luke stops and goes so 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 wait I'm part black. <laughs> and it, and then Vader just like gets this like sort of slumped shoulder. This is a mask, you idiot. Mm. Didn't Although they, then when they parody Vader, that on mask, Family Guy? Gene Simmons from Kiss. Oh, on Family Guy, they did a whole you know. Oh yeah, they three the whole, whole Star Wars episode yeah. based on that. I really think they they had more material to do that. Yeah, you know, the other three than the, than the classics, but eh. yeah. I think the robot chicken one was superior to the uh, Family Guy one. Yeah, yeah, we we are going to have to do an episode just about parodies for sequel cast special. Yeah, probably yeah. so much of that stuff out there. Um, thinking about all this Empire Strikes Back stuff, Yoda is a character I really like, but uh, sequel cast listener Robert Groover on our uh, Facebook page made a very interesting point. He said, "Really." Yoda is a jerk. 
No one seems to like to think about it, but just pay close attention on how he treats Luke. Not to mention his stupid, garbled language that people repeat over and over again because it's deemed to be wisdom. Well, I, I only about half agree with that. Yeah. Um, if, if only, only because I think, I think absolutely every step of the way, Yoda is testing Luke. And sometimes he's testing Luke by acting like a complete idiot. And other times he's testing Luke by acting like a jerk. Other times he's testing Luke by showing the extents of his mastery over the Force. Uh, you know, Yoda knows how. I think Yoda knows how little time he's going to have uh, training Luke. So he's just by being a, a quote unquote jerk, he's compressing you know decades worth of Force training into a few short weekends. Yeah, is the techniques they use with the younglings are. Even just the the equipment and every the whole setting, the whole thing is totally different than when he was training people back when Anakin was, you know, a kiddo. And, and then, of course, to... there's also just the whole archetype of the of the crazy little kung fu master that that he sort of fits into. Oh, there's no doubt that that was the source of him. I'm surprised and, and... they didn't give him a Fu Manchu. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Yoda with a Fu Manchu? I can, but I don't like it. <laughs> and, and to be fair, you know, they if they would have given him like a stereotypical Asian karate master's voice, that would have been terrible. Try hard yeah. you must, or fail That's, you will. I like, would have been like a terrible little stereotype. Yeah. I like the little troll voice. Well, no, I'm saying I do like Yoda's voice. It really oh, yeah. adds a lot. You know, what do they say? It sounds like Grover. Yeah, I think it is. Grover Frank Oz? I believe so. I believe original Grover was. At least it's not like the Elmo voice. Can you imagine? Uh, Can you imagine calling Yoda? Judge me by my size, do you? (laughs) Yeah. Mr. Noodles! Would be really but, uh, something. Well, like, even the crazy backwards talking, I still like because it, oddly enough, b- because you have to think just a little bit to, to understand what he's saying, it does add a certain level of gravitas to to all the wisdom he drops. Although I will admit, yeah. most of the wisdom he imparts is stuff anybody could have told uh, could have told Luke. Hey guys, you know what's better than video games and beer? Cat videos? Be Arthur? Incorrect! Nothing! The answer is absolutely nothing! All right, all right. You know, actually, I do think you're right. Agreed. We're here at the Dogcast. We podcast about video games and beer. And beer and video games! Available weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Be Arthur? Yes. We're the Spirit Hunters, and we're a show that treats Hunter Hunter and Yu Hakusho's author as the center of the universe. Some weeks we do linguistic analysis. So the Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or refine, but so the changed meaning in Japanese it means to temper. Other times we get absolutely smashed. So we take one shot every time. Yusuke uses the ray gun. One hour later. This is the least coherent episode. Sarah, you're. I think your apartment is haunted. I think you can find out more about the Spirit Hunters right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. I think it's disappointing that Obi-Wan Kenobi comes back as a ghost. Does that strike you as cheesy? No, I actually, I like it. I think it's an interesting uh, way of bringing in like an old man. I just, I hate that it, it kind of sets a precedent and then the prequel trilogy says, no, 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 those were all exceptions. When if you want to buy those, you assume that when a great when a Jedi dies, he can come back as a ghost. Well, I 
I always assumed that he could come back as a ghost because he's dedicated and he has unfinished business. You know, he, you know, until Luke is trained, he's not done. And that's why he, he comes back as that projection. Uh, one of the more iconic scenes out of many in Empire Strikes Back is they introduce the characters of the bounty hunters um, in a scene where, you know, Darth Vader is trying to track down... Uh, Luke and Han and Princess Leia and everyone. Yeah, I, I do, I do love, I do love it when they introduce the bounty hunters because one, it's it's a menagerie of creatures, but which is is great. I think every Star Wars film should have a menagerie of creatures, which they proceed to do nothing with other than brief them on their mission. Except Boba Fett, you see, you catch a little bit at well, the end. One, oh, well, that's God. the menagerie. Like yeah. the menagerie doesn't do anything except provide it provides sort of depth. And, and each and the thing about the the bounty hunters is each one clearly has some sort of grand story behind them that we just don't have time to see. That's actually one of the better um, novel or the short yeah. story collections is the Bounty Hunter one. Tales from the Bounty Hunter, I think. Or, yeah. They've actually done a lot of um, – a lot of those Bounty Hunters have been very active for a long time, and so they've done a lot of depth on them uh, in the Clone Wars cartoon. Mm-hmm. So you see a lot of, the, a lot of them all the um, – you know, Dengar and some of the others – I like him. He just seems like the odd one in the bunch. He doesn't look very capable. <laughs> That's the human. Well, he always struck That's me. That's the as... human with the like head scarf, and he's yeah, kind of yeah. a little bit overweight. And he always struck me as being the blue collar bounty hunter. It's like, ah, oh, damn it! Now I gotta track this guy down. Ah, oh, my back hurts. I'll just shoot him. Now, when they did some extra like changes. Robot chicken. Oh, what is it, BJ? Oh, the, the robot chicken Dengar, where it was he's somebody's like. He's somebody's brother or something to try to get a job <laughs> as the bounty hunter. It's a, it's a really funny scene. I think that was in uh, Volume 2. They've done a few of the different um, Star Wars specials and Robot Chicken, right? Yeah, I think they've done have they done three. I know they've done I at least two. I think so. Okay. Um, I mean, with the when they did the version of Star Wars for uh, DVD in, I think, like 2004... They did some more changes from the special edition to tie it into the prequel trilogy. One of them is they redubbed Boba Fett's voice with Tamura Morrison, who played Jango Fett in the prequels and who, you know, all the stormtroopers and stuff were, were clones of. But that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense because it's just Boba Fett's his, like biological son. But he grew up in a different. He grew up in a different setting, so he would not have the same accent. Yes. Well, the accents are not is, biological. <laughs> the other thing is, I just love the original Boba Fett voice. It just works so much better. It, it's almost kind of a dirty, hairy. He's worth more to me alive. Like I just, <laughs> he just sounds like a sleazy guy, and yeah. I think that works so much better for the character. I I really don't like Boba Fett in general. I think that. I think it's the fan hype. I don't know why the fan hype came of him. I think it's the I, look. I got to completely agree with you. I was going to save that for Return of the Jedi, but everything we know about Boba Fett from the movies is that he is barely competent. He only gets one good good idea in the entire trilogy. He only does one thing right, and that's hiding with the garbage so he can track the Millennium Falcon because he's just as – He's a sleazy guy. He knows dirty tricks, and he knows Han Solo knows dirty tricks and probably suspects that coming. But for the rest of the series, completely incompetent. You know, he he doesn't capture Han Solo. The Empire just hands him over. 
Uh, he uh, c- c- can barely shoot anything. When he finally dies, he dies by accident, just by happenstance. And yet, outside of the movies, he's Batman. I think it's just the. Look. I'm sorry, he died in the Sarlacc pit. No matter yeah. what anybody says, I don't, it's nothing like the look of him. Like all his weapons, all his little gadgets, just sort of inspired a lot of people's imagination. And also that he didn't have yep. barely any dialogue, you know, in either Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. But like like Thrasher said, that menagerie. I mean, the freaking Trandoshan, the lizard guy. He looks way more badass. He's a big lizard guy. Right. And then there's the the. The droid and the other and the Gand um, team for Lom and Zuckus, mm-hmm. they look pretty awesome because they got this kind of like, you know, short squat guy and tall lanky guy, th- you know, team going on. They're, they're an odd couple, but also yeah. just the fact that LOM is a droid, that means that, I mean, within this setting, that that is so sinister because we as we see in the first well, Remember, film, there's the whole assassin droid IG-88 is there as well. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But he's just – he's kind of – but even he's kind of Mary Sued like uh, like um, uh, Boba Fett is. I think that the others are way more interesting and I would rather have seen them you know, get the hype. But I guess people can relate to a dude in armor or they can relate to Giant Lizard Man or Short Alien Man and Droid. I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess in your head you can fill that armor with whatever you want. Yeah, that's true. And that you already have someone in armor that's a, a popular character, Darth Vader, and that's another, you know, Boba Fett. Oh, he's another dude in armor. Oh, and he's got guns instead of a, a lightsaber. So, as... I'm pretty sure he had a lightsaber in some fan fiction somewhere. Oh, probably. Actually, probably fiction. in some published fiction somewhere, too. <laughs> it could be, too, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, one thing that is uh, weird about a change they did for the DVD release in 2004 is in the original theatrical version and the special edition, for that matter, of Empire Strikes Back, uh, it's a different actor playing the Emperor in a brief Oh, scene. that's right. And in the DVD version, they changed it so it's the same actor who plays the Emperor in all the other movies. Oh. And he gives slightly different dialogue. Now I, I, have to go, now I want to go back and figure that out. I did not notice that. I, I had heard they did that, but I haven't seen it. And, and yet... That original introduction of the Emperor through that hologram is just so creepy. And just the fact that we don't see much of the Emperor after that still just makes him this such a mysterious, threatening, looming presence. One thing that was cool, though, with the original special effect, to make the uh, Emperor uh, more sinister and less easy to sympathize with, in that original hologram, they suit – they they – superimposed a chimpanzee's eyes yeah. uh over yeah. over the actor's eyes giving just giving it this bizarre inhuman glare when i think the actor um the physical you know body of the emperor was actually a woman with the monkey's eyes superimposed on it and then clive revel's voice was dubbed on top huh so i mean yeah this is a really you know, like you said weird weird look originally that they ended up not sticking with the thing that bugs me about them using the emperor from the other movies like that to me that sort of makes sense but the makeup looks like the makeup from revenge of the sith so which i don't like as much as yeah yeah no it doesn't look that design. you know well, I it's think more su- i don't think that's supposed to look exactly the same as he did in like it's supposed to look like fresh scars and stuff mm-hmm. much more gooey it, it looks more fresh, I guess, as you as you put it, 
in the new footage for the um, Empire Strikes Back than the footage of you know what he looks like in Return of the Jedi. Odds are they filmed it at the same time. Uh, probably no, it's kind of probably right. Instead of like, oh hey, they didn't put the thought into it. So mm-hmm. I, and now I want to get. Now I'm curious if I go back to the Blu-rays and look at and see. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's weird. Do you ever think about how many copies of Star Wars you own? Um, <laughs> Sometimes. I just own the Blu-rays, but I mean, over the years I had the set on videotape they released when the campaign was, you know, own the originals for the last time. Where The, the covers of... I the, had that one. I, yeah. I lost that one in Katrina. So. Oh. Oh. The covers on that one were very uninspiring. It was like a big Darth Vader head for Star Wars. And uh, Empire Strikes Back was a big um, stormtrooper head, and Return of the Jedi was a big Yoda head. Oh yeah, which is a shame because like they've had such amazing Star Wars poster art over the mm-hmm. years. I really feel like they should just stick with that classic poster art. That actually, I think that retained into the uh, special edition VHS release, which I do oh, have the poster art. The, no, the 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 heads you were describing. I think oh, that actually. Maybe. The version I have, I was, I think it, it's the first release of the special edition. Yeah, was that because it looked almost the same box except it was like gold instead of black. I guess I've owned three different versions between the videotape, the DVD, and the Blu-ray. I never owned a videotape of the special editions. Um... I remember, I'd say I picked up the, I didn't pick up the initial DVD releases. I thought that was, I kind of waited. And when they put out this this beautiful box like tin set, and they it came with the uh, the original VHS versions on DVD. Right. Yeah. That's, That's pretty, pretty neat cool. that they did that. Even though. You know, I don't think it, that sold as well as you wanted to because I saw version, you know, that that sort of version laying around everywhere. But now that's out of print and worth some money, I think. Well, I could, I you couldn't pay me to give them up. I keep okay. those even though I have the Blu-rays. Yeah. Well, let's take a break for a minute and talk about some of our affiliates and so forth for the sequel cast. If you go to our website at SequelCast.com and you click the Donate button, or you go to SequelCast.com slash Donate, you can donate to us via PayPal. You know, when you do a podcast, there's fees like uh, hosting fees and all these sort of things. And if you, uh, if you, dear listener, decide to donate, it helps us out, and it's uh, greatly appreciated. In addition, if you go to SequelCast.com, you can have a link to uh, check out our Cafe Press merchandise, like beer steins and mice or mouse pads and buttons and all sorts of things drink out of the sequel cast exactly and you can also um you should do a shot every time we do we take a tangent yeah <laughs> uh, you'd be smashed pretty soon i reckon <laughs> uh another way you can listen to sequel cast i mean it's still a podcast at the at the end of the day but you can listen to it streaming at uh through stitcher smart radio which is an app and if you go to stitcher.com slash sequel cast to get the app sequel cast is automatically added as one of your favorites and also, we're an Amazon affiliate, so if you click on our Amazon link at SequelCast.com, uh, you know, next time you do your Amazon shopping, we get a little cut of that. And uh, as always, every bit helps. So, um, I don't think I missed anything with all that plugging. Uh, and we're part of the Battleship Retention podcast fleet. Yeah. Check out other Battleship Retention uh podcast fleet member uh podcast at uh, battleshipretention.com all right 
Back to Empire Strikes Back. I think before we close out this discussion, and it's funny, we've touched very little on this film. Uh, it, well, you know, it's a film you just have to see. Yeah, it's um, well, it's certainly the case. I, well, I mean, I it's, went... it's really a classic second act of any play where things just start going wrong Although for funny. the heroes of the play. Sure. And, when I saw and this, pretty much the... everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Oh yeah, with especially short of people end. dying. I, mean, I love that shot at the end where you get the sort of pullback. You see the whole rebel fleet in space as they're looking out for uh, Luke leaving to go start the search for Han. It's a real nice shot there. You get the some of the bigger rebel ships in there. Of course, that's the point where Lando is wearing Han's clothes. And they never explain that, do they? Was it just like, <laughs> did Lando like accidentally spill a bottle of Cavassier? You know, clean clothes. And that's all Han happened to have was Han has a closet full of black vest, white shirts, and uh, <laughs> blue red striped pants. Yeah. And they're about the same build, size and build, so it would fit. I mean, they did have to pull out of Cloud City pretty fast. Lando couldn't pack. What if those clothes were actually Lando's and they came with the Falcon when he won it? Oh, God, yeah. He, he won the shirt off Lando's back. <laughs> Lando got it back. <laughs> Very nice. We wow, now, hey, we're turning Lando into the new Boba Fett. Well, well, like, well we know he's competent, though. Uh, so I, I could see that happening. But um, I'm actually looking at my shelf of Star Wars merchandise, and most of it happens to be from Empire. Like I what? think most of the the stuff we find out. I mean, I guess it could be because the that's the most recent like anniversary that they've done. Mm. So a lot of stuff got released from that. I'm looking at like the plastic models, the Hallmark ornaments, and the Legos on my shelf there, and it's all Empire. Well. I have to say, there's a really neat poster of Empire Strikes Back where Han is holding Leia, looking down on her. It's supposed to evoke the poster for Gone with the Wind. I can see that. We don't. That's film... still probably one of the best, you know, love scenes ever. I, it's it's definitely been mimicked a lot of times. The whole "I love you" and then something other than saying "I love you" back. But obviously, the the meaning is there. Well, do you know the line that was in the script for that scene? I actually don't know exactly what it was. I I just know kiss that me, that was gruffy looking nerf herder. And it was not kiss me, you scruffy looking nerf herder. Uh, according to some books I read, the line as scripted was, uh, you know, Han's about to be frozen, and Leia says, "I love you," and Han's response was, "I love you too." Not kiss me like you did by the lake on Naboo. No, not kiss me like you did by the lake on Naboo. <laughs> and it was on set. They did several takes of the scene, improvising different stuff, and that's how they came up with "I love you, I know." <laughs> and it, it's a scene that really works. Although I, I do admit, when I saw Empire Strikes Back special edition in the theater, I saw it by myself. I saw it at ten in the morning, and I fell asleep in the theater. Oh damn! Maybe because I saw it by myself, and like no one else was in the theater. Well, you know, is there really no one else in the theater? Not really. No. Wow. Like ten thirty be... in the morning on a Saturday. That would be an interesting experience. Yeah. Uh, but um, I think part of going to the theater is having the rest of the audience to react along with. That's true. Did did this movie affect the way you guys actually, like, sort of critique films? Because it, it affected the way I view film, if only because I do consider it unquestionably the best Star Wars film, but it's not my favorite. 
I think you're probably right on that. Hmm. I think that as far as what people consider like Oscar worthy film and stories nowadays, and even at that time, this is the closest to it, uh, story and character wise. But it's definitely not my favorite either. I, I got to go with Jedi on that one. I agree, but I'll save my comments for that episode. It's I, like now we need to, now we need to put in that whole conversation from Clerks, yeah, about <laughs> Empire and Jedi. Cause... I agree too with Jedi in a way, but yeah, we'll talk about that next week, of course, on the sequel cast. So we've had a good uh, chit chat. Oh, about... before we before yes. we move on, I actually wanted to bring up. Sure. The, you remember when the 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 books were always kind of out, but there was one that they really pushed as like a, a blockbuster book. Shadow uh, of the Empire. They, they did a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, Shadows of the Empire. Yep. I I think that because that comes between the two, we ought to mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, in yeah. fact, they went so far as actually to score a, a full soundtrack. To yeah. The book. That's right. I happened to own. It was the first uh, time I actually owned the Star Wars um, theme. And as I recall, there was serious discussion of trying to make that into the into the next movie. This would have been uh, in the 90s, of course. I think it could have. I mean, I think it definitely could have done. I have not actually read it, but I, from what I understand of the story, and even just the scoring they did on that, uh, it was actually a really well done um, score. And I've used it for any number of uh, Star Wars role-playing games, and people are like, what's that from? I know it's from Star Wars, but they don't know what it's from. Because it, they did a really good, even though it wasn't John Williams, they definitely got the feel of Star Wars to it. They also had a number of video games and other um, things for that. Yeah, it was a, a launch Comics, video action game figures, the whole game. for the Nintendo 64. Which is actually interesting because they're starting to bring in the Black Sun and the, the race that uh, Prince Shizor oh, yeah. um, belongs to, to into Clone Wars. Huh. This whole thing with um, the Mandalorians and the Sith keeping up with the Black Sun and all these other criminal organizations to try to take over a planet it's it's very complicated i've yet i have to watch this uh week's episode still it's pretty cool i need to catch up on clone wars myself yeah the composer of that score for shadow of shadows of the empire was joel mcneely and the um i read the book it's been a long time what's interesting too is they did a comic book that kind of focused um more on uh like the bounty hunters and didn't follow exactly the the same part of the story as the novel or the video game did. Uh, in the book, you know, because Han Solo is still frozen, they have a character called Dash Rendar, who is very much like Han Solo. Which is kind of weird, but you have to give someone, I guess, kind of a smart ass for them to all play off of. And yeah, like you said, BJ, a lot of it plays off of uh, Shizor, who's a, a member of the Black Sun, which is kind of like the you know, the the Star Wars version of the Mafia. Which does not exist. Allegedly. Nope, just like the Hutt Cartel doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> nope, totally. Very true. So, on a scale of one to five stars, what would you rate Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back? BJ? I gotta give it a three and a half. Hmm. I think just because it's such a down note, it doesn't have those those uplifting moments. I think that we get in uh, in Star Wars, yeah, or uh, or Jedi. Uh, Thrasher. Ah, uh, well, 
I I've got to give it I've got to give it a five, and I actually like five out of five, and and I I like that it's a down ending. I like that it has all the all the elements of a tragedy, and that it it, it is a tragedy. Except that we still get one more movie down the line where everything gets to be puts to right, and that just that feeling you have at the end of the movie is everybody's looking out, uh, looking out the uh, the the viewplate at 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 space, and the somber mm. music is playing. That is a feeling I know all too well, and I like that there's a sci-fi adventure movie that acknowledges that kind of melancholy. You're such a Dante. <laughs> yeah, I guess I am. I give Star Wars. Could that be my Star Wars Star Wars name, uh, Dante Rayburn or something like that? Sure. Cool. I give Empire Strikes Back. I think like four out of five stars. I really enjoy it, but I find I don't know. I think it takes spends too much time on Hoth in the beginning, and then some of the stuff sort of drags when Luke is on Dagobah and especially Han and Leia in the asteroid field. I think sort of goes on forever, but it picks up a lot more at the end. I, you know, there's not enough Chewie. No, no, Chewbacca's sort of in the background. C-3PO's kind of a nag in the movie, which is to comedic effect, which I think works. I love it when C-3PO is like just falling, is like been partially rebuilt and strapped to Chewbacca's back. Turn around! I want to see! Yeah, no, that's a nice visual. I have that, uh, that, that, I think that was two years ago they released that as a Hallmark ornament. Oh. It's one of my favorites just because it has the, the two characters in one. So it's not like shaped like a traditional ball that looks like a Wookiee? No, they're the like, shaped okay. ones. I have uh let's see, I have Darth Vader in the in the carbonite room and it plays lines from uh from that scene. Hmm. I have Luke um in his flight suit from when he uh first lands on um on Did Cloud City. Oh, oh Cloud City, okay, right. Let's see, and uh, I have Lando, obviously, hmm. and then I have the the Chewie and three uh, PO. I'm missing Princess Leia and uh, Han Solo. I need those two. Oh, then I at least have like the whole cast. Sure, no, that's very impressive. Uh, now we're going to do a segment on sequel cast called "Pitch a Sequel," and we should, we pretend no sequels are ever made to this film, being Empire Strikes Back, and we get to pitch our own. I will begin. I'm making this off the top of my head, so I apologize if it's not very good. I would do it... No, the end is a pretty dark ending. I would have it where Han, Leia, and all the rest are waiting in the big rebel ship, wanting to know what happened to Luke Skywalker. You know, it picks up right where Empire leaves off. You see the X-Wing fly away, and all of a sudden Luke isn't paying attention. R2-D2's beeping too loud, and Luke turns around. And an asteroid smashes into the X-Wing, killing Luke. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so Luke Skywalker is knocked out of operation within the first few minutes of my sequel. And they're crestfallen, and they have to carry on. You know, there's no—they don't know where Han Solo is. So it's Leia and Lando have to go, and they develop a romance. But then when Han Solo gets uh, thawed out, how does that play with that triangle? So it's a love triangle between Han Solo and— Lando Calrissian and Leia, and to that point, you would have somehow Leia meets Yoda, and she gets trained as a Jedi. Wait, they did that in the comics. I can't do that. Um, <laughs> Why not? Nah, I don't know. I think that's too obvious. 
you you never reveal that Leia. But they don't even you don't even know that until the third movie. That's, That's one of the true. great things. It's like you don't you figure yeah. it out later on, but you don't really figure it out in that first. I mean, you get some inkling at the end where she's like, "I I know he's there," but. So when Yoda says there is another. You know, You're like, who could it be? Yeah, who could it be? Maybe it's Han. That'd be kind of right, cool right. if Han Solo was actually. But it might be, you know, the love triangle be- between Leia and uh, Lando and Han. And you'd have a battle. I think it would have to end with like a big space battle. Oh, yeah. Where, where it would be something like the Millennium Falcon has to go toe-to-toe against uh, Darth Vader and his TIE fighter. And it'd be an exciting battle with all the bounty hunters chasing after him at the same time. And I would call it Star Wars Episode 6, There Goes Luke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, So, uh, (laughs) Thrasher, what's your pitch to sequel? Okay, my my pitch. Uh, Here's here's what happens in my pitch. We get... uh, we get uh, two. We follow uh, t- t- two. There's two minor stories and one major story. Uh, the two minor stories are, you know, Leia and Lando Calrissian getting getting the rebels more organized for you know getting the fleet back together after being scattered from Hoth, a- and uh, another minor story about Luke uh, Luke uh, finishing his training under Yoda, who will of course die die again. Only in this case. Luke will kill Yoda. That is the final part of his training. Is there's mm. kind of like snatch the pebble from my hand moment. Only instead of snatch the pebble, it's uh, you have you have to be the one to end me. Yeah. Uh, so nice. yeah. that'll be a nice intense scene. Really and that's dark, the final kinda. lesson. Uh, that's going to be part of the final lesson Luke learns from Yoda. But the bigger bulk of this story is going to be with uh, is going to be with Han Solo, who's Boba Fett delivers Solo. Uh, uh, solo to uh to Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt thaws Solo out and basically just keeps him prisoner, you know, keeps him a, keeps him a slave, has him do some humiliating work in the bowels of uh of of his uh of Jabba's palace. But the whole time uh uh Han wants to escape. He wants to reunite with Leia, reunite with Luke, you know, fight the good fight with the rebellion and it turns into, for all intents and purposes, uh, a prison break movie. Only a little bit more like the World War II escape from a prison camp, not kind of an escape from Alcatraz. And by the time it's done, not only does does he manage to spring himself from Jabba's palace, but he frees all of Jabba's slaves and other people that he, that he had been holding prisoner. You know, J- uh, Jabba gets killed, his criminal sin gets overflown, and then Han Solo uh, organizes all those people into a new branch of the sort of ragtag branch of the rebel army. So the movie ends with the massive assault on the Imperial capital on Coruscant, and uh, and when the rebel and of course there's a huge space battle with you know the rebels trying to trying to breach Corson's defenses and it's just not working and then Han Solo comes in with the cavalry and it's this fleet of crazy ships and they you know it, they're just it's it's a it's the biggest most chaotic space battle we've ever seen ships just swarming the entirety of the planet uh, and uh, Luke manages to get in fights the Emperor uh, defeats him you know powers return to the people and uh, and everyone's happy and in the end they all sing a celebratory anthem to the New Republic. So does Han Solo get killed by a harpoon through the front window of the Millennium Falcon? Uh, 
No, but I think he draws on the Emperor and gets Force Lightning. Doesn't necessarily die, but he he does have a brief face-off with the Emperor and, and bad things happen to him. I'm just imagining the whole Han Solo doing a leaf on the wind. Hmm. <laughs> no, Chewie, Chewie would do that. <laughs> no, you can't stab. Well, well, I guess that would be the appropriate response. You can't kill Chewie. Yeah, when I heard that they did that in one of the books, I was like, I stopped reading the books right then and there. Yeah. I, was kind I of don't think killing off the primary characters is appropriate for uh, expanded universe novels. Not to mention the novel, other... that particular novel where Chewbacca dies had a title that sounded more like a Star Trek movie, Vector Prime. Ugh. I believe that don't get me started on Star Trek and Star Wars. Thrasher's already heard part of my uh, my rant about J.J. Abrams. Oh, and if and if I may, my title would be Star Wars uh, Episode Six: The Final Curtain. B.J., what's your pitch of sequel? All right, let's see. Uh, I have this thing for finding other Jedi, so I think uh, after Yoda passes away, he does happen to know where some of the other Jedi are and sends Luke to them to uh, to train, except Luke decides enough with that and actually starts trying to gather them up in order to uh, to bring the full force of the Jedi back. So then we really get Return of the Jedi, which I really like that title because it really it brings back a major part of the, the mythos of mm. the the Star Wars universe. So we we start he starts hunting down uh, he actually goes back to Tatooine to find one. Finds one there, frees Han Solo somehow. I'm, I haven't really thought that much into it. Because uh, I really think uh, at this point it's really going to be up because your main problem is going to be Darth Vader and the Emperor. And they're, they're obviously very powerful uh, you know, Force users, so you're going to need more than just one of them uh, to, to defeat them. Um, I probably would even have, um, I would actually develop a romance between, uh, between Leia and Luke. Hmm. Them not being siblings, actually. Wouldn't want that, not really, into the whole. That so would be just the other. To do the incest thing is, this is not, we're not doing Greek literature and like Oedipus here. Although I guess it kind of is, because he sort of kills his father. Although Rex Oedipus yeah. does sound like the name of a Star Wars character. Yeah, yes, it does, actually. And we might have to work him into something. So I would end up with a, you know, in fact, you know, I think I would probably even throw in Han Solo as actually being um, Luke's brother or, or cousin or something. But of course, he doesn't want anything to do with the Force, so he just keeps doing his thing. And, uh,. I'm, it's really hard, though, because things that happen in Return of the Jedi make sense. Right. Like, it seems like a logic. So it's very hard to, to come up with a sequel that doesn't sound like Jedi. Hmm. Which I think that's, a, that's what's going to be interesting is trying to come up with a sequel to Jedi. Mm, yeah, no, that's very true. And uh, Disney is supposed to be releasing Star Wars Episode Seven in uh, 2015. Yep, J.J. Abrams direct. J.J. Abrams. <sighs> All right. So, what you watch? The close, yeah, exactly. Close out the show with what you watching. Something I've been reading a. 
bit of, you know, trying to get in the Star Wars mood for these episodes is I'm reading a Star Wars novel, which I haven't done for a long time, called Star Wars Darth Plagueis, which um, is about the origin of the Emperor's uh, mentor. But then it also talks a bit about the early life of the Emperor as well. So I haven't got to the Emperor part yet, but it's... um. It's interesting. It's almost more about political intrigue at this point I am in the book. Hmm. But, you know, but that's kind of what the whole first, uh, the whole prequel trilogy is. That's true. It's, it's really about playing the government. Yeah. Hmm. And you get a sense of that in the the book as well. Pretty neat. All right. What else? Well, I have uh, I recently watched an awesome Vincent Price movie I'd never heard of before called uh, Madhouse, which it's it's amazing because it's for all intents and purposes it's a Vincent Price movie about Vincent Price. He plays an actor who's famous for doing uh, horror pictures. Hmm. In this case, particularly a series of horror pictures called Doctor Death about a uh, about this sort of mad genius serial killer who devises ingenious ways of killing people. And a new do- after a long hiatus, a new Doctor Death film is going to be made, and he's having a career renaissance. But then a series of murders starts happening, and all of the murders are duplicate murders from earlier films. And you come to find out that he actually has a history of mental illness, and there's a question about whether or not he might be committing the murders. And the murder is wearing a, a version of the Dr. Death costume. Peter Cushing's in it. It's all filmed in Britain and ha- has all these very 1970s British undertones. There's a crazy actress who lives in the basement of the house that, that, that uh, Vincent Price is renting who who was scarred on a uh, set fire and has just gone mad. And, and it's... It, it's just creepy and exciting. I, I absolutely love it. I, I definitely check out Madhouse with Vincent Price. Hmm. And hey, Peter Cushing was in Star Wars, so we got a connection. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. hmm. What about you, uh, BJ? Uh, let's, I just recently started watching Community. Oh, Okay. I really had not been real. I don't really pay attention a lot to network television, so it had mostly escaped my view. But I, I happened to be trying out Hulu Plus uh, this week and looking into that. What do you think? Uh, it's it's very. I get why it's kind of appreciated by the geek community. It definitely has that feel uh, of being constructed for uh, that kind of audience. And I think this is actually one of the, the better um, roles I've seen Chevy Chase in. It seems a lot more subtle than some of the other ones he's in. Hmm. Yeah, he... Um... It's, it's not as much slapstick as he usually would do, like especially in the, the National Lampoon movies. And... Right. He would, um, They give him a bit more to do later in the series, but... Yeah, it's interesting. It kept on getting renewed for another season by the skin of its teeth, and this fourth season is supposed to start pretty soon in uh, early February. So I'm very curious to see what they do because the uh, show run, the creator of the show, Dan Harmon, isn't on the staff anymore. Have Have you seen the uh, paintball episode yet? No, I haven't. That's the the bumper they keep running before every episode, so I haven't gotten there yet. 
I won't give it away, but just enjoy the two part paintball episode. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm getting there. I think I'm I think I might be in the second season now. I'm not sure cool. exactly what episode I'm on. It improves in the second season, and you'll get a kick out of the D and D episode. I've seen that one before. Uh, Thrasher had showed oh. it to me once, and that's what uh, prompted me to go and uh, finally watch the whole series. I just <laughs> I found it online somewhere. You can watch the whole series, and you, know, you have to have basically you have to have a subscription to Hulu Plus to see the whole series didn't watch it or own it on DVD. I just, I love that line. I won D&D, and it was advanced. <laughs> I, think, I, just, I think I just finished the episode where they convinced uh, him to dress like a wizard the whole time. <laughs> which which was really hilarious. So. I do a killer Swami imitation. <laughs> Yeah, that's another very quotable show. Now that I think about it, certainly. All right, well, tune in next week on the sequel cast when we'll be taking a look at Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, and check It'll be out a lively more... conversation. Yeah, and check out more episodes at sequelcast dot com or at uh, talk to us at facebook dot com slash sequelcast for the sequel cast. This is Matt and Thrasher and BJ. Okay, let's each of us do a Yoda impersonation, since this is Empire right. Strikes Back. BJ, go. Mm. Okay. Oh, oh, I can't think of a line. Oh, <laughs> Let's make up something. Trying to think of a good line. Mine, or I would help you not. <laughs> oh, good. Thrasher? Judge sequels by their size, do you? <laughs> Listen to the sequel cast, you must, or fail, you will. <laughs> it's hard to do that Yoda laugh snort thing. <laughs> oh, that's much better. Wow, that's very good. I find it's hard in my voice to do that, Yoda. Oh, Jedi Master, you seek Yoda. Yoda, you seek Yoda. Wars not make one great. You know, he, what bothers me about that is you know he had to know that Obi-Wan sent him. I'm sure he did, but it's all part so of the like, test. Why give him such? Because nobody else knew he was there, except for Bail Organa. I think. Although, too. then again, what if every now and then Imperial survey teams come down to the planet and he has to <laughs> and stumbling across his home? Does he like pretend to be an idiot and then they just like leave him alone, or has he been killing surveyors and destroying their ships? I don't think he kills them. Um, that doesn't good. seem to be in Yoda's mo. Very good point. Like he's definitely messing with them. He invites them in for funky porridge. And... <laughs> the funkiest of porridge. All right. Oh, thanks a lot. That was fun, guys. All I right. enjoyed it. Yeah. The sequel cast is a Hipster Goblin production.